0: On today's episode of Sports Medicine Weekly, we talk about the new recommendations on daily aspirin to prevent stroke and cardiovascular disease. What risk is there? What does aspirin actually do? And also, we'll talk about the new recommendation and how it plays into Dr. Cole's role as a surgeon. But first, JRF Ortho partners with orthopedic surgeons to improve the quality of life of patients by enabling them to have an active life through the generous gift of cartilage and ligament transplantation. Please go to jrfortho.org to learn more. Sign up to be a tissue donor at donatelife.net. This episode is also brought to you in part by Karen Malkin and her new protein brownie bar and superfood bars. Best pa- tasting bars on the market, certified gluten free, paleo, no added sugar. Karen's protein brownie bars and superfood bars available on Amazon and at Karen Malkin dot com dr cole some uh, interesting stuff out recently as the uh, u.s preventative services task force considering making several changes to its guidance on taking a daily aspirin to prevent heart disease and stroke now recently the task force posted a draft statement recommending that adults ages 40 to 59 who are at a higher risk for cardiovascular disease but do not have a history of the disease decide um, with their clinician whether to start taking aspirin based on their individual circumstances. You know, this is the first time the task force has recommended that adults in their 40s talk to their doctors about whether to take aspirin for heart health. The draft also says that adults 60 and older should not start taking aspirin to prevert heart disease or stroke because new evidence shows that potential harms Uh, cancel out the benefits according to the task force. So it's interesting because for years and years, um, we were told maybe it was recommended Dr. Cole, you know, to take a a baby aspirin or a low dose aspirin that could prevent stroke or heart attack. And now all of a sudden a switch. So
1: let me ask you, what risk is there? Steve, this is, it's an interesting, evolution on uh, what sounded like a very simple thing. you know, how bad can an aspirin be? Just take a we used to call it a baby baby aspirin, but it's a low dose aspirin. We don't call them baby aspirins because you don't want to give aspirin to babies. They're, they're, it's not indicated for anyone really even below the age of say 12. Uh, that being said, you know the risk has always been that heart disease is the leading cause of death in the United States. In fact, it's responsible for one in four deaths. So, while taking a low dose aspirin has been shown to lower the risk of having a heart attack or stroke in some people, it actually has serious risk of potential bleeding, and that can happen in the stomach, the intestines, and the brain. And that's according to this task force, and that's things that we've known for a very long time. And the other challenge, and that's why age is coming into this decision making, say over or younger than 60, the risk of bleeding with the use of aspirin increases with age.
0: Okay, so what
1: is then
0: the new recommendation officially that they're uh, reporting?
1: So the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force. This is an organization that convened uh, to draft new recommendations, and they basically address the issue of, you know, what do we, what are our concerns about taking daily aspirin for the prevention of stroke or heart disease? And that's what we're really discussing here. Is, you know, we have always had this recommendation to take a low dose aspirin, that's eighty one milligrams, to potentially minimize the chance of a stroke or the consequences of having underlying heart disease. Oftentimes, Steve, heart disease can be very silent. So this seemed like a pretty innocuous, safe thing to do. And the task force convened, and basically now, they are recommending through review of the literature, so this is evidence-based decision-making, as we say, that doctors no longer routinely start patients who are at high risk of heart disease on a daily regimen of low dose aspirin. Now a low dose is 81 to 100 milligrams. The classic one is, Steve, the so-called Bayer aspirin that you see it's 81 milligrams. And the proposed and recommend- used to
0: call that Bayer aspirin for children, didn't they? Right, yeah, now yeah. we don't,
1: because there's a thing called race phenomenon, which is where kids can have an adverse uh, reaction to aspirin. Because we use aspirin even following surgery on occasion in higher risk patients uh, if it's indicated, but it's always by physician discretion to prevent the risk of blood clot. And we'll talk a little bit about how how aspirin works, but even that potentially is associated with risks following surgery. So so this recommendation is really based on mounting evidence that the risk of serious side effects can far outweigh the potential benefit.
0: Okay, so um, let's go back to the
1: basics then. And uh, Dr. Cole, tell us what aspirin actually does. So, aspirin inhibits the formation of blood clots that can block arteries. Studies have raised concerns, Steve, that even regular intake can increase the risk of bleeding, however. So, you can argue that if it inhibits blood clot, right, uh, stops bleeding, then you could be at risk for bleeding. And the area that's of significant concern is the digestive tract in the brain. And that danger actually increases with age. So, while daily aspirin use might prevent uh, or help prevent heart attacks and strokes in some people at high risk, you have to weigh that against the potential harmful, serious effects of internal bleeding. I mean, because that too has obviously profound consequences if someone were to have a bleed either in the GI tract, gastrointestinal tract, or the brain especially. So there's no longer this blanket statement that says that, hey, everybody who is at increased risk for heart disease or even though they've never had a heart attack should be on aspirin, on aspirin excuse me. So the task force is recommending that individuals age 60 and older should not take aspirin for heart disease and stroke prevention. And those between and this is a very significant change. And and those between 40 and 59 years old who have some risk for coronary artery disease or cardiovascular disease, but no history, should really discuss this option with their physicians. And what's interesting is even physicians have to get up to date with these recommendations. So this is not something that's taught in medical school. This is information that is now coming forth and in fact steve these recommendations were challenged even a couple of years ago back when you and i were uh, doing uh terrestrial radio on uh, espn we had a we had a discussion about this about the the the, the waning routine uh, uh advocacy for an aspirin and this now finally is formal recommendations by this task force so those who are at high risk or some risk for coronary vascular cardiac uh, car- coronary vascular disease or history of stroke that age range, 40 to 59, even though they may not be as high of a risk for a brain bleed or a stomach or gastrointestinal bleed, they should discuss that option with their physician and and obviously making sure the physician is up to date with these recommendations. So the task force also noted that when deciding whether patients should start taking aspirin to prevent their first heart attack or stroke, clinicians need to take into consideration age, heart disease risk and in a very objective way and then bleeding risk. And then there may be some things that they can do to prevent bleeding uh, such as antacids and other things that can limit the effects on the gastrointestinal system. So it's gotten much more complicated than just saying, hey, it's super easy, not a big deal, take 81 milligrams, low dose aspirin, and you can reduce the chance of stroke or a cardiac event.
0: I've always wanted to ask you, so um, back to internal bleeding, I'm, I'm fascinated by that because by that um you know it's 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 interesting we've got all this blood in our body but it's almost like it's in different compartments right i mean
1: blood, well, blood you know, can't sure. get out to certain spots we call it internal bleeding then what is it well internal bleeding in this case is referring to really two major areas one is the gastrointestinal system so the the mucosal lining is the lining of our intestines our stomach and so forth and it's there to protect it and because of the chemical pathway that while it inhibits uh, platelet aggregation or clotting uh, by taking aspirin, it, it uh, also inhibits these other pathways that can put the stomach mucosal lining, the protective lining, uh, at risk. It, it compromises it to a level that you have reductions in protection at the same time um, the the risk that bleeding can't be stopped in a time-sensitive way. Okay. So when you look at the overlap and pathways of, of these agents, they can reduce our body's ability to prevent a bleed, and then, in theory, once a bleed can start, it can't be stopped effectively because you can't clot. So it's not like your whole body starts bleeding. It's the gastrointestinal tract, which no longer has that protection is now actually exposed to the inability to stop bleeding. And the second thing, Steve, is that the same thing it's trying to prevent, for example, a stroke from a clot, you could actually, in someone who has fragile vessels in the brain, could see the same phenomenon in the brain, where you could get a brain bleed. Uh, and you can get a stroke by a different mechanism, from bleeding rather than a clot, which is what aspirin's trying to prevent. So. It is obviously a complicated issue, and you're you're sort of fighting that risk-benefit ratio, which really puts the clinicians in the center of the decision making.
0: All right, so it appears the latest is clear then, right? Uh, they don't want you to start a daily aspirin regimen, and for those who did, uh, cut back, right, or stop it. Basically, is yeah, what you are
1: saying. that's right, Steve. So you know, essentially, the conclusions are that starting a delay a daily aspirin regimen in people who are 60 or older to prevent a first heart attack or stroke is not recommended and it's important to note that the task force is recommendations are not for people already taking aspirin for previous heart attacks or stroke okay we're talking about those who are in a preventative mode um... so those people who have had a previous heart attack or stroke should continue to take their aspirin unless told otherwise by their clinician and that's a very important differentiator
0: not good for the aspirin companies
1: but uh... important for uh... The human uh, human life, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, when you look at the magnitude of the, the the consequences of having an adverse event, such as a bleed in the stomach, or a stroke, I mean, that's that's either life ending, ending or life altering. So these these recommendations by this task force have to be taken uh, with serious consideration. All right. So who makes up a task force? How is that
0: uh, comprised? And uh, we always hear about these task forces. Uh, what does that mean exactly?
1: So a task force basically is a, uh, often a, um, an, uh, an assemblance, if you will, of experts in a field. And it's often people who have contributed to the evidence, who have done the research. Uh, um, and it puts them in the same room at the same time where they may have contributed to the research that we use to make decisions uh... they could be clinicians who have real life experience and uh... clinicians who treat these patients and it could also be basic science phds and even regulatory experts so in this case it's an uh... It, it the task force includes sixteen experts in disease prevention and evidence-based medicine who are Uh, who periodically evaluate screening tests and preventative treatments and these are appointed by the director of a federal agency for health care research and quality Uh, but the group functions independently and um, and in this case its recommendations can help shape U.S. medical practice so for example when we had issues with uh, uh, cardiac or heart concerns in the NBA uh, we remember way back when when we were worried about this concept of what we call cardiomyopathy or an enlarged heart. We had a, uh, the, the Eddie Curry situation with the Chicago Bulls. Yeah. Uh, that Some of that uh, controversy came about because we didn't have a lot of information on how what the value is of, of the MRI in evaluating, in evaluating the heart. Really sensitive test shows us anatomy, but we didn't have any normative data on, on big people. And what the NBA did, to its credit, is they assembled a task force of world-renowned uh, car- car- cardiologists and interventional cardiologists, people do echos, cardiograms, and MRI uh, uh, experts and so forth, and put them in a room. Uh, and they came up with a task force recommendation. Similarly, we have task force recommendations for blood clot prevention. Um, for any you know very complex disease process where there's science coming from different angles in, in a multidisciplinary fashion, a task force is a wonderful way. It's a brain trust, if you will, to make an informed decision using not only real life situations, Steve but you know the evidence what we say evidence-based medicine to make intelligent decisions on behalf of me and you who might be at risk of doing something that otherwise might seem quite simple in this case just taking an aspirin. Now, I I think in this case you know this task force the guidelines that have been been developed they're not finalized yet Uh, but once you know once they are uh, they have the potential to affect tens of millions of adults who are at risk for cardiovascular disease and that uh, still, you know, all the things we talk about on our podcast, cardiovascular disease continues to be the leading cause of death in the United States.
0: Okay, interesting stuff. Now, Dr. Call, I want to ask you um, after we take a, a tiny break here, um, how this new recommendation plays into what you do as a surgeon. But first, fall weather is here. Still time to get outside, enjoy your favorite activities, and spend precious time with family and friends. Aches, pains, or an injury should not be part of the memories you're making. The therapist at Rush Physical Therapy are there for you. With more than 60 locations throughout greater Chicagoland, Rush's clinical experts will get you back to life. Go to RushPT.com today and you can schedule an appointment. Not sure if physical therapy is right for you? You can request a complimentary consultation and discover the power of Rush Physical Therapy today. Varicel, another sponsor, develops, manufactures and markets autologous cell-based therapies for patients with serious diseases and conditions. For more information about their products, visit vcell, v-c-e-l dot com. Alright, we're talking about aspirin and to wrap it up here, Dr. Cole, really interested to get uh, your opinion um, as an orthopedic surgeon, uh, whether it's the, uh, the everyday or especially um, You know your recommendation following surgery how do these new aspirin recommendations play into what you do
1: steve i'd say that the biggest area that uh, i have to deal with is the risk of a blood clot after surgery and you know the reason i never take a recommendation for surgery lightly even though the surgeries themselves are very safe is that you know once you elevate the level of intervention for something you you invoke the other possibilities of you know risk. So again, it's a risk-benefit uh, decision-making. So what I would tell you is that uh, aspirin is commonly used, for example, and the only area in orthopedic surgery that has been investigated thoroughly is following hip and knee replacements. So one of the biggest risks after a knee or hip replacement is the development of a blood clot. And we used to use Coumadin on a regular basis. And now what does that I do? will tell you that... Coumadin is a blood thinner. Yep. that works through a different pathway to inhibit platelet aggregation, uh, meaning platelets coming together and forming a clot. And it was very hard to monitor. You had to take you know, daily or weekly blood tests to make sure that your your bleeding time, if for lack of a better description, was correct. And there's been a number of new medications such as Eloquist and others that you don't have to follow bleeding times. But aspirin has been studied, for example, to, in hip and knee replacements and has been shown to effectively reduce the chance of a blood clot. What's interesting is that it's not only the blood clot, Steve, that's dangerous. It's the blood clot that can subsequently travel to your lungs, something called a pulmonary embolus. So surgical intervention can be associated with the risk of developing a blood clot, which has the devastating complication of throwing a blood clot to the lung called a pulmonary embolus. So when I do surgery, I have to weigh the patient's risks, the post-operative, mobile, you know, the number one redu- reducer of risk of a blood clot, Steve, after surgery is getting up and moving around. So if a patient doesn't have a family history of a blood clot, we could arguably do nothing in terms of prevention um, with aspirin as long as they get up and move around. Uh, most of the literature in blood clots uh, and prevention with aspirin and others has really looked at hospital or what we call more bound patients, patients who are hospitalized after trauma and things like that. In my world, it's really up to the clinician to make an, an informed decision as to whether or not uh, we should put them on something postoperatively because I've even had you know 16- and 17-year-old patients uh, after routine surgery, um, even being on aspirin, develop a blood clot. Wow. So the, they, it doesn't necessarily prevent it, and it doesn't necessarily prevent a pulmonary embolus, a piece of uh, clot traveling to the lung, from occurring it might or could reduce the the incidence of it but it doesn't definitively prevent it and then when you're in that situation steve like anything you know it just shows why we as clinicians medicine is a bit of an art as well as anything else we have to take the totality of the information we have and say look you know this is the operation you're having this is your post-operative course you have or you have not uh, any family history of a blood clot or, or in yourself ever having a clot uh... you're not taking you know high a high you know on medication such as oral contraceptives or being a smoker or other that might put you at a, 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 an increased risk weighed against hey i'm gonna put you on aspirin which could cause bleeding at the surgical site now this is what's unique to surgery bleeding at the surgical site can happen with aspirin because it inhibits clotting so that's a, that's a complication and that's one you don't want to have because that could lead to an infection. It could lead to repeat surgical intervention, it could lead to increased disability and time off work and time off activity. So uh, and not only can you bleed at a surgical site by being on an aspirin, you can cause a, a gastrointestinal problem, a stomach problem like we just talked about, or even the risk of potentially for stroke where you could have a bleed in the brain. So um, you have to you have to take, Kind of what you know in totality, and suffice it to say, Steve, there are no because of the, the I guess wiggle room one has in making decisions in medicine in this exact area, we don't have documents that set the standard of care to say this is what you do, Steve, after your shoulder surgery, you must take an aspirin. This is what you do after ACL surgery. It becomes a decision making on the part of the clinician. And, and and always, Steve, and something, when possible, consensual decision-making and discussions with the patient. But this is one where, you know, facts reside in the clinical arena with doctors. And it, 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 it's up to us to interpret that without actually having formal guidelines telling us what to do. That's why these recommendations on aspirin, Steve, the baby aspirin, not a baby, but a low-dose aspirin, are so stunning. Because we've always just said, look, no big deal. I've been taking one for. I took one for a long time when I was training really hard for uh, for climbing. I just said, you know what? I'm going to do everything possible that's in my control. I'll yeah. start taking 81 m- m- it milligrams. It was recommended. Of yeah, yeah, at the time, and 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 then you know, as I mentioned years ago, when you and I did that. Episode on ESPN. We talked about this, and I remember and I was like, "This is pretty amazing." Because I just you never would have thought that there would be substantial literature that would show that hey, just a little eighty-one milligram aspirin, which can potentially reduce the chance of a blood clot, is also associated with the chance to bleed in your brain or to have a catastrophic bleed in your in your GI yeah. tract that could cause you to hemorrhage and die. So it's um, it is a it just shows you how complicated the world that I live in. You know, I think the easiest thing that I deal with is, hey, Steve, you have biceps tendonitis, you have a rotator cuff tear, your kid has an elbow injury, torazonocleid ligament, or he has uh, an ACL tear. That decision is a lot easier than all the other things that go along with how we treat patients and, and, and medicine in general.
0: Absolutely. Great stuff, Dr. Cole. We appreciate it, and uh, interesting topic. Now, to be your best, you start with best practices. Eat better, grow stronger, reach higher. Midwest Orthopedics at Rush... Their work is what best practices are built upon. They're a team of leading physicians with the highest level of experience and training, prolific researchers delivering pioneering breakthroughs, orthopedic experts that other orthopedic specialists and their patients come to when they need individualized care. Get it done right the first time at Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. Visit rushortho.com slash the best. We hope you enjoy today's Sports Medicine Weekly episode. Be sure to add the Sports Medicine Weekly podcast to your playlist on Apple and Spotify. Listen in anytime, anyplace. You can subscribe to the Sports Medicine Weekly podcast. New Sports Medicine Weekly podcasts are shared weekly on social media. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For Dr. Brian Cole and our producer, Alex Soroka from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, I'm Steve Cashel. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the podcast.